So, we are in Acts chapter, just ending in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 25 and picking up in Acts chapter 26. In Acts, the end of Acts 25, King Agrippa has come, Festus is in a predicament because he has, he did not just release Paul and now he doesn't know what what to do because Paul has appealed to Caesar. Festus has nothing to write to Caesar as a charge, but Paul has appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar he must go. And so King Agrippa has come through with his, his together with Bernice, and uh, who's who's actually his his half sister that he's living with in incest, and uh, he's coming through here, and so so Festus is asking Agrippa to hear this case. So if you see in the end of Acts 25, verse 23, so in the next day when Agrippa came together with Bernice among great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom the people of the Jews appeal to me both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite to write to my lord. Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. So you see that he is in a predicament. How am I going to send him to the emperor? Well, it's his fault for not declaring him innocent, for wanting to also send him to Jerusalem for a trial, not before Caesar's tribunal, but there in Jerusalem, in a place where he was sure to be killed along the way. So now he's in a fix, and he he wants Agrippa to help him hear this out. And Agrippa was a nominal Jew in the sense of following Jewish practices, and that was handed down from his, his uh, uh, grandfather. But if we read now in, verse tw- in chapter 26, verse 1, Agrippa says to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in the customs and the questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then, all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O King, I am being accused by Jews. By, by Jews, Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? Okay, so here he is making his defense. The first thing he does is they say, Paul, you're free to speak. So Paul begins to make his defense and he stretches forth his arm, which is an oratory gesture that he's about to speak. Paul is not here timid. He stretches forth his arm. 
And he says, he says, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I can testify to you. Because you understand the customs of the Jews. So, it wasn't like he had to educate him from ground zero on this. And in verse 4 he says, All the Jews know my manner of life. From my youth up, which from the beginning was spent upon, upon my own, uh, among my own nation and at Jerusalem. So, so he was from Tarsus, and he, was spent, he, he, he grew up among his own people in Tarsus, and then at Jerusalem where he was trained. As we know in other portions of the scripture, he was trained under Gamaliel, the, the, one of the very famous rabbis, who also was one of the rabbis who, who uh, spoke up at the final trial of Jesus. He was trained under this great man. And he says that they know my manner of life. He says that in verse 5, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Pharisaism was a sect of Judaism. He says among the strictest sect of our religion. And, and in fact, back in chapter 24, back in chapter 24, he says that, verse 14, But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. In the same way, at the time in Israel, to be a follower of Christ, to be a believer in, in Christ, was to be called part of a sect called the Way. And so, just it was not considered an, uh, an outcast part of, of uh, the faith. It was considered a, a sect of Judaism, although it wasn't long after this that, that it was actually, the, the Jews deemed it as something quite separate. But at this time, it was a sect, just like Pharisaism was a sect. Then he says, in verse 6, And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain. Look what he says. He says, there is a promise that our twelve tribes hope to attain. Not that our twelve tribes had hoped to attain, to which our twelve tribes hoped to attain. Now remember, it was, it was uh, uh, in 700, 650 B.C., something like that, that the two remaining tribes, Benjamin, mainly Judah, and a small portion of Benjamin, were taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. They were then taken by King Cyrus and Darius to Persia. And a small group of them came back to repopulate the land after 70 years of, of dispersion. But it was long before that that the Assyrians had taken the northern ten tribes and intermixed them with other groups to the north. And it is because of that that people say that those ten tribes were lost. They are wrong. They were not lost. They remained as tribal segments. And we see right here evidence of that. Although people speak today of ten lost tribes, they are wrong. The tribes were not lost any more than the other two tribes were lost. He says that the twelve tribes hoped to attain this. So the twelve tribes were very much still there. If you look in, in Luke chapter 2, in Luke chapter 2, there's, there's reference to Anna, who was a prophetess, who gave a testimony concerning Jesus when he was just brought to the temple, when he was just a baby. In Acts 
I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. So look, it even names her tribe. Remember, this is a thousand years after the so-called ten tribes had become lost. It names her of the tribe of Asher. And if you look in James chapter 1, so if you look in, in, in the epistle of James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. So the tribes weren't lost, they were dispersed. James is writing to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. So remember, anytime somebody tells you that they're part of this ten lost tribes, they're partially right. They're lost. They're not part of ten lost tribes. Tribes never were lost. They usually have some ulterior motive for saying that. They never were lost. There was a tribal identity. And over the years, the tribal identity has been lost to some degree. But that is actually being rebuilt, amazingly, through, through uh, uh, DNA markers. And so you can, you can look up, for example, the Cohen gene, the, and, and it, it, it's, it's being, they're, they're bringing back together who were of the priestly line. It's really quite amazing. So, so you can actually Google that and find out. But Paul says there was a promise made to the twelve tribes. And then he says in verse, in, going back to Acts chapter 26, he says in verse 7, The promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and and day. And for this hope, O King, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? The issue, he says, the whole issue here is the resurrection. This is the issue. It is the resurrection. And he mentions this again and again in his defense. In Acts chapter 23, verse 6. In Acts chapter 23, verse 6. Paul said, but it says, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. In Acts 24, verse 21, he says, Other than for this one statement which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. Acts 25, verse 19. But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. So Paul had asserted to Festus that this man, Jesus, who they claim to be dead, is very much alive. And now we see in Acts 26, verse 8, he's speaking of the resurrection. Again, in Acts 26, verse 23, he says that Christ had to suffer, and by reason of his resurrection from the dead, that he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The issue was the resurrection. And you will find that the attacks that come on you and me in our lives so often get back to the fact of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is different. Because if Jesus has risen from the dead, then there is some accountability to his claims and the things that he has said. And unlike people saying, oh well, you know, the force be with you, and, and they'll speak of some God in the generic sense, Jesus Christ, 
the name Jesus Christ, He holds us accountable for our actions. And in our own minds, we may rationalize away accountability. But Jesus holds us accountable for our actions. And it's because He is risen from the dead that it is of such issue to people. They don't want to hear about Jesus. Because Jesus holds us accountable for our actions. If He's risen from the dead, He holds us accountable. And not just me and you. He holds the whole world accountable. Because the whole world is going to be judged about what they did in response to these things. In response to His being risen from the dead. It is an important thing. And this is the crux of the matter. You will see attacks on Christianity far more than, for example, on Hinduism. Because with a Hindu, you can, you know, your God's okay, my God's okay. You got a God? Okay, we'll just bring him right into the fold here. We got lots of them. And so, you know, this is okay. But why is it that with Christianity it's such a problem? Because of Jesus Christ and he's risen from the dead. And now he holds us accountable to these things because he's risen from the dead. Paul again and again gets back to the crux of the issue, which is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And the other thing here is that if you turn back to Acts 24, verse 27, but after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. So it was over two years that Paul had been imprisoned. And then Festus comes. Festus has a predicament, because Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, I'm not going back to Jerusalem for a trial. And then it says some number of days passed before this, this trial with King Agrippa came. So Paul has been in prison for at least two years. Now think about that. That would wear one down. You know, I can be awfully tough and sound awfully bold when I've had good sleep and I've been well fed and, you know, I'm not tested for more than five minutes then I can sound awfully tough. But two years in prison will wear you down. And I'm amazed at how Paul can stand up. And they say, Paul, make your defense. And Paul has, remember, Paul has gone through this before. First it was, was before Lysias, the, 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 uh, the Kiliarch. And then it was before Felix. And then it was before Festus. And now it's before King Agrippa. The same thing. He's being tried again and again. And he was before the council as well in Jerusalem. When Light, first it was before Lysias, he told it, and then before Lysias in front of the council. So he's been through this a lot. You'd think that the frustration would abound. You'd think that he'd say, forget it. I'm not going to say a word. I'm a Roman citizen. Send me to Caesar. He says, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you. This is great. Yes. Remember on Paul's conversion experience. He's going to recount it in this chapter, but he recounts it before. One of the things that is talked about in the book of Luke that happened to him on the conversion experience is, Jesus says to him, I'm going to show him he, 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 said, he, he says this to, to, um, to the one who comes and prays for Paul. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And then it's also said 
to Paul or of Paul that he is going to testify to the Gentiles and to kings. Here he's standing now before King Agrippa. He will eventually stand before Nero. But here he's standing before King Agrippa. And that was a legal title for Agrippa. And so, here he is standing before a king. The very thing that Jesus said you are going to do on the day that Paul got saved, there on the road to Damascus, he is now doing. He is standing now before a king and giving witness. In Paul's mind, this was a fulfillment of what was spoken to him on the day of his conversion. And not just in his mind, in reality, this was the fulfillment. And he says to him, I consider myself fortunate. I look at Paul and I say, how could you have been in prison for two years and remained so bold? You know, one of my, one of my quiet fears when I first got saved, one of my quiet fears was, would my faith last? Would I be like so many people that have come to know the Lord, that have become lethargic in their faith, that it's kind of lost meaning, that I would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but there would be no, no, no fire there, no zeal, no passion for Him. The Scripture gives us promises. The Scripture gives us promises. For example, in Psalm 1, it says, you will be, if you take this word and meditate on it, you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. There are promises. There are promises in, in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, that if you take this book of the law and you meditate on it day and night, so that you be careful to do according to all that's written in it, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will, make, then you will have success. So the promise is there. How could Paul remain so bold? Remember, I can remain bold. Lots of sleep, well fed, things going particularly well, and don't test me for more than five minutes. But for two years, sitting in prison, how could he remain so bold? In Proverbs 28, verse 1, this beautiful verse. You know, I read these, these Proverbs, read through Proverbs every month. And, and uh, in Proverbs 28, verse 1, there's this beautiful verse. It says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. This is so tremendous. So tremendous. Paul is as bold as a lion. When you walk in righteousness, and remember what Paul said earlier on in chapter, 20, in, in, uh, chapter 24, verse 16 of the book of Acts. He says, I do my best always to maintain a blameless conscience. Not that I, ever, I never do wrong, but I do my best to maintain a blameless conscience. Paul is about to recount the wicked things that he did. 
to the church and in the body of Christ. But here he is as bold as a lion. How can a person do the things that he did in the past and still remain bold as a lion? How can a person spend two years in prison and still then remain bold as a lion? How can this be? He remained bold as a lion. And then whenever I reflect on this verse, because every time I read through Proverbs during that month, and I get to this verse, I say, oh yes, Lord, make me bold as a lion. Make me bold. And especially on the mornings when I'm feeling particularly scared. You say, oh, come on, you don't get scared. I get scared all the time. It's all these things that come upon me. How am I going to pay this off? How am I going to do that? How am I going to... All of a sudden, this fear will come on me for some reason. That, oh, I'm going to lose this. I'm going to do that. But then I start reflecting on this verse. The wicked flee when no one's pursuing. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, there's a verse about Jesus. Beautiful verse. Again, a reference to a lion. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And when one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome as to open the book and its seven seals. So he says, Stop weeping. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. This to me is tremendous. My Lord has overcome. My Lord has overcome. Nobody, nobody was able to open that book or to break its seals. And the prophet John was weeping. And one of the elders comes to him and says, Stop weeping. The lion, who is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. The lion has overcome. Because of the Lord, because of His resurrection... Because He overcame death. And He fills us to be as bold as a lion. Paul can stand there after two years in prison and be bold as a lion. And say, it is my pleasure to stand before you and to make testimony here this day. You can be bold as a lion if you learn to walk with God. If you do not maintain a blameless conscience, if you're living with your boyfriend or living with your girlfriend, I guarantee you, you will be like the wicked that flee when no one is pursuing. It will suck the boldness right out of you. There will be no spiritual power. When we are walking in unconfessed sin, it sucks the power out of us. That's why Paul said, I maintain always in Acts 24, verse 16, a blameless conscience both before God and before men. Because he knew, had he done wrong to men, he wanted to get this thing resolved because he wanted to be bold as a lion. If we walk in openness, and this is why I beat this thing again and again every week as we take the Lord's Supper together after, after this class, that get these things dealt with, get it resolved. You are here before the Lord, about to take the body and the blood of the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me for the trash this week and let me get this resolved. And I declare to you this day that I will turn from it. Lord, give me your grace. 
You can walk as bold as a lion. But if you don't deal with things, we will be like the wicked that flee when no one is pursuing, all of us, all of the time being scared, when there's nothing particularly to be scared about. You know, I can sit there and start getting very scared. Oh, my wife's going to get in a car accident with my two boys in the car, and they're all going to die. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? I can sit there all day and dwell on this and get really scared, and my stomach starts hurting, and I... Walk around scared. I mean, I have the ability to do this. I'm really good at stuff like that. Or that, you know, I have this huge lab of people working in it that one of my students is going to falsify data and will publish a paper and then it will be found out and then all this blame is going to be heaped on me. You know, that's kind of scary. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You walk blameless before me. Though accusations may come, they will clear And accusations have come in my career about things, and they've always cleared. And actually made me look better in the end. You walk uprightly, and you can be bold as a lion. For two years in prison, he can come out bold as a lion. Because the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. He has risen from the dead and everything is under His feet. He has overcome. This is why Paul can stand up there being dragged out of prison after two years, stand up, raise his hand and say, Gentlemen, I'm about to speak. Bring them on. Amazing. The lion from the tribe of Judah has overcome. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the power of Your Word, for the testimony of Paul, that he could stand there and speak after two years in prison, speak boldly and give testimony. Father, I pray for these young people that You so work in their lives to let them walk blameless before You so that they could be bold as lions, so they need not flee when no one is pursuing, but that they could be bold as lions in their witness, in their testimonies, and in their lives. Father, I pray for your grace on them. Father, be with them.